fill you up here with me. You're so good. You're such a good friend. Hey, before I start, uh, sis and my other sis and my third sis who is back here somewhere, mm, Elizabeth, Raylan, Joel, um, I just declare you mighty women of God and you all are forces for the kingdom of God and against the kingdom of darkness, okay? Just affirm you in your womanhood today as women of God, okay? All right, amen. Hi, how are you guys? All right, um, so I have the pleasure and opportunity to continue our series in Exodus. This is our second installment. We're going to go through this the whole summer. So if you guys want to be reading it on your own so you can just follow along so you can know some context, that will be great. And maybe over lunch, you can talk with your friends about the deep things that God is doing, okay? All right, so um, I'm going to recap a little bit from last week, and then we'll read the passage, and then I'll get into some of the things um, that we'll be talking about. So if you guys didn't get a chance to hear Mary's preaching, whew, you killed it. I mean, it's dead now. Like, you, you murdered that thing, girl. Yeah. She came with so much clarity and fire, and I am so honored to just come behind you. And I went back to listen to it today because, you know, I was at Franklin Avenue. And so many of the things that I was going to say, you said. So I was like, I don't, I don't got to say that. Mary has already said it. And I also think it's so cool um, to hear the whole of the gospel from the Old Testament to the New from someone with Jewish descent. Like, that, that was really amazing. So... We honor you today, Mary. If you didn't get to listen to it, um, go back and listen to it. But Mary gave a wonderful explanation of where the story falls in the midst of God's whole story. So I have a slide about this. It says uh, Moses and Adam and Jesus on it. If you could put that on the screen. Perfect. Um, so just to recap, so you have some context for this particular message. We want, we're learning as a church to see the scriptures, all of them, as Jesus' story, one continual story from beginning to end that has several movements, um, several key characters, but all of this is Jesus' heritage. And because we're in him, this is also our heritage. So we're learning more to read the scriptures in context and not to just kind of like pull them out and make them say what we want, but they existed in a real time, in a real context with real people. So we want to leave them in that state. So just to recap a little more, we know that uh, Adam and Eve sinned and caused sin to come into the world, and all of us have been affected by that sin. You don't need me to tell you about that. You've seen it in your own lives, in the lives around you. You know about sin. You know it's real ugly. Um, and so from Adam to Jesus, he has used key figures to start to, one, convince the people on earth that they've been infected by sin. At a certain point, when you get so far away from the initial contact, you forget how bad it's been, you know? You guys have probably seen this in your own lives in other ways. When you do something for so long, you look up and you're like, oh, man, I didn't know it had gotten this bad. Um, so by the time Moses comes into play, things have gotten pretty bad, and the people aren't fully aware of how rough it is. So even if he was to come and say, hey, I'm a savior, they might not even be able to recognize him in that way because it was so difficult at that time. So Jesus, um, in general, God and the, the whole trinity, all of them, in general— they, um, the Lord's heart is to redeem all of them. 
to bring them to a place of perfect intimacy, perfect fellowship with God. And he does that through revealing himself to his people, through telling them that they have a sin issue, but he sent Jesus to be um, the cleanser of that sin issue, and he's the way to get to him, okay? So this is that whole story played out over time. Right now, we're at Moses's part of the story. And it's continuing, even though Jesus died, resurrected, ascended, we're still in this story because we're a part of this lineage. And it's going to continue all the way until Jesus completely finishes his restoration plan, which includes all of us and the creation. Does that make sense so far? Great. All right, so um, Mary told you about Adam and then how Adam um, eventually, later, later, later on, um, was the great, great, great grandfather of Abraham and God gave Abraham all these covenant promises. Abraham's descendants multiplied. They became a tribe. They became Israel. They became all the tribes of Israel. Um, they moved to Egypt because of famine, and now they are in Egypt right now. They've been oppressed for like 400 years, and this is where they are. Up to this point, Pharaoh, like Mary was saying, was terrified of how big this Israelite group was getting. They were getting out of control as far as their size and their strength, and he was hoping that they wouldn't riot and rebel against them. Um, and so rather than uh, asking them, I don't know, he could have done a lot of different methods, asking them to not rebel, he just decided to, like, start killing their babies. Um, and so the, the Israelites are in the midst of that story. You heard about what happened with Moses. And so now we're going to pick up where we are in Moses' life, all right? So let's go ahead and read this passage. Um, it's a short one, so you can stand. I would love that if we stood to honor the Lord and his word. If it gets too long in the middle, then I'll ask you to sit, and you can just stand in your heart, okay? All right. Exodus 2 and 11 through 20, 25, it says, one day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid them in the sand. The next day, he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what, must, what I did must be, have been known. When uh, Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and to fill the troughs to water their flock, their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away. But Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. When the girls returned to Raul, Raul, okay. When the girls returned to their father, he asked them, What have you returned? Why have you returned so early today? And they answered, An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. And where is he? Raul asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to a son. Moses' name, Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. During that period, the king of Egypt died, and Israel groaned in their slavery and cried out to their God for help because their slavery went up to God. This is probably the last one. Yes, this is the last one. 
Y'all doing all right. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Amen. Amen. You can sit down. You guys did so well. If you were thinking about working out later on, you don't have to. I got your back. All right. So there are some key points that I want to acknowledge in this passage. Because as I read it, there were some that stood out to me. But as I kept sitting with the Lord um, concerning this, he just started showing me stuff that I had never seen before, which is really exciting. All right. So we know that up to this point. Can you put the scripture back up? Just the beginning part. So we know up to this point, uh, Moses is a Hebrew. He was raised by his mom for a little while, and then he was sent to live with um, the Pharaoh woman. I don't know what her name was, but the woman who was with all the Egyptian people, he was raised by her for a little while. And so he has um, Egyptian heritage right now because he was raised in Egypt. But he also has this Hebrew heritage that his mom taught him while she was nursing him and taking care of him. And so Moses has this significant identity conflict going on internally because he is a Hebrew person. And when he looks out and sees the Hebrews being beaten, being whipped, that's him. Like, that's his brothers. That's his cousins. That's his family. But at the same time, when he sees those who are oppressing, that's also him. That's his family. That's the people who raised him. That's the people who taught him and brought him up and fed him. So he is right in the middle of both of these groups of people. But you can see um, what I saw. The first thing I saw when I was reading this is Moses has this clear solidarity towards marginalized people, unrecognized people groups, minority people groups. He has this clear heart towards them. In this first altercation, Moses sees the Hebrew getting beat up. He goes over there and he kills the Egyptian man. Later on, he sees another argument happening between two Hebrews, and he again takes the side of the weaker person in this part. Like, he talks to the oppressor, and he says, hey, like, why are you arguing with your, with your brother? And then he gets real afraid, and then he moves to Midian. When he gets to Midian, there are some girls, seven little daughters out here trying to just give some sheep some water, and there are other shepherds bullying them, you know, trying to keep the water from them. And so, again, he takes the sides of, of this weaker population in this sense, the people who have less power in this sense. And he's like, hey, get out the way. Let me help them water. He moves them along, and then the daughters are able to receive water. So we see that um, Moses' heart is towards the minority population or whoever it is that is being oppressed in this moment. His heart is towards them. And this is before God has started to, like, reveal himself to Moses. This is before we've said anything about who Moses is going to be. We can clearly see that that heart exists in him already. He's going to be a deliverer. But before he was even called any of that, that's already in him. And that is something to, to note because I think just God in his sovereignty before we even come to him, because we bear his image, he places good things in us that eventually we can choose to use to glorify him or not. But regardless, he still gives that gift without repentance. He gives it to you. And so here Moses comes on the scene with this heart that's already towards the people who need it. All right. 
However, there are some problems with that heart. You probably shouldn't kill people. And so we're going to talk about that a little more in a few seconds. But one of the cool things um, I noticed as I was reading through this, I went back and read through a lot of Genesis, like as you were talking about it so much, Mary. I went back and read through a lot of Genesis, and I heard the promises that the Lord made to Abraham and how the people would be enslaved, but then he would free them. And it occurred to me um, that pretty soon the Lord's going to start to reveal himself as Jehovah Nisi, which is a name that he uses um, which has a lot of different meanings, but one of them is the Lord, our deliverer. And so as I was studying this, I was like, man, Lord, what do you, what do you mean that you are a deliverer? Because if you don't know the story of Moses, after this, they're going to fight through a lot of different hardships, and then he's going to deliver them from Egypt. This is a spoiler alert, but it's in the Bible, so you could have read it already. I don't feel bad for spoiling it. But it is a spoiler. He's going to free them. And then later on, he's going to bring them to the wilderness, and he's going to, like, start to reveal himself to him, to them. And so it occurred to me, I have a slide for this. This is the next one. It occurred to me that if God is going to call himself a deliverer, then his deliverance is twofold. Like, as I was thinking about the word deliverance, it occurred to me that it is twofold. It is, I said here, God's complete deliverance includes both deliverance from and deliverance too. And we use this all the time when we use the word deliver. We can use it in either context. We can use it as like, I've been delivered from something or something's been delivered to me. I started thinking about this because I ordered a pizza on Friday. I didn't want to cook. Devontae didn't want to cook. Domino's was open, okay? So we called Domino's and we said, hey, make us food, please. All right, so the first, the first part of deliverer is the part where they're in the pizza shop. If you've ever ordered Domino's, I know it's a like one that people don't eat that often, but it's pretty good. Like, I don't know. I feel like we're asleep on Domino's. We should try it. Nevertheless, I'm not here to influence your pizza choices. What I'm here to do is acknowledge if you've ever ordered Domino's, you'll see that they have this cute little gadget that tells you where your food is in process. It's like uh, Amanda, the lady was named Amanda. She was like, Amanda's baking your pizza. So I'm like, okay, go Amanda. And then <laughs> it moves on. It's like, okay, now the pizza's in the oven. So I'm watching the bar move over. I'm like, okay, I'm getting closer to my food being ready for me to eat. And they're like, okay, now we're quality checking. I don't know what that means, but I'm glad you checked my pizza for quality. Great. They're checking to make sure it has all the toppings. After that, I'm glad that you made my pizza, but I'm expecting my pizza to be delivered from the store. It doesn't matter if you make this pizza, if it stays in the store. I need it to be out of the store. Move it from the store, okay? That's the first way of deliverance. Come out of the store. The second one is if the pizza man just drove around my neighborhood and never came to my house, then deliverance wouldn't be complete. It has, when it's completed is when the delivery comes to me. It's not enough that the pizza comes from the shop. It needs to come from the shop and to me. And then I'm going to give you your money. If you don't come to me, I'm going to expect a free pizza. That's where I'm at at this point. So when I was reading through this and I'm looking at God's heart for these people, his heart is not only to deliver them from their slavery, from sin, from um, all of the kingdom of darkness, but it's also to deliver them to himself. 
In the next half of this, you're going to see the two part. We're not going to preach about that. We won't get there. But eventually, um, after he parts the Red Sea, the Israelites go into the wilderness, and this is the part where they get delivered to God. He starts to reveal himself to them. He starts to tell them, this is who I am. This is what my name is. And he starts to show them all his power, his might. He starts to bring manna. He does all this crazy stuff that I feel like was crazy, but it's just so, it feels impossible, but it is God. He starts to do all of this stuff so they can be convinced of who he is, so they can come to him. Because his heart is always that I would be your God and that you would be my people. And he tells them that so many times, I will be your God and you will be my people. So this is, we're going to, we're talking about the first half of this. But for deliverance to be complete, you need both sides. Now we acknowledged earlier that Moses already had some heart of deliverer going on. All these people are having moments of conflict and he's consistently stepping in to bring some kind of reconciliation, some kind of deliverance, some kind of justice in whatever form. However, Moses's form of deliverance is not the one that the Lord is trying to bring at this moment. I was talking to Joel about this as I was prepping and Joel was like, yeah, you can't free Egypt by killing one Egyptian at a time. You just don't have enough time. If you did one every single day, 45,000 days from now, they would still be in slavery. So Moses's attempt not, not the best one, but it's what he had at that moment. And so this part of this story, after Moses' birth, after he's raised, after we hear about the, the horrible stuff that's going on with the Israelites, this part of the story is so significant because this part is Moses' deliverance story. Before Moses ever goes on to be a deliverer of a nation, Moses goes through his own deliverance first. And that's so good to just practical application, take that. Before you deliver nations, like there is a deliverance that the Lord has for you first. And so let's, I want to read some of this passage again so you can see what it is. Can you put the passage back up there? Go to the next one. Okay, one more. Perfect. Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have been known. When Pharaoh heard this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he excuse me, sat down by a well. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs with water. Okay, we know this part. He definitely saves them. And then the father-in-law asked the daughters, why have you returned so early today? They answered, an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. And the guy asked, where are you or where did you leave him? And he invites him in to come and be with his family, okay? So here, Moses was physically in Egypt, and then Moses runs away to go and be in Midian because he was afraid. And when he gets to Midian... The way I see the story playing out is Moses has been freed from Egypt, but he's just kind of in this middle place when he's at the well. This is like the pizza man just driving around my house trying to see which one got the light on. This is, this is him at this point. And it's not until Raul, Raul 
invites him in that we see the second half to deliver two part, start to be a part of his story. As I was thinking through this, I noticed that Moses, even though he has this heart towards the minority people, the problem that God is highlighting here for Moses is that Moses still has Egypt's way. Even though he has God's heart, he still has Egypt's way. So we see like there's a problem here. When Egypt had a problem with Israel, their response was to kill them. Moses had a problem with the Hebrews. What was Moses' response? To kill him. It's the same heart. Even though you feel like you're headed towards justice, your heart is the same as Egypt's. You're moving through Egypt's to tools. And so the Lord had already called Moses to be that deliverer before that. That's why he talked to his mom and told her to put him in the basket. He was already speaking about who Moses would be. But the problem that Moses is having right now is Moses has the heart, but he has all of Egypt's ways, all of Egypt's tools. And so the Lord brings Moses out of Egypt and into the middle. That's the deliverance from. And then that second part happens when Raul says, come into my house. I'll feed you. And then he gives you his daughters. Um, if you read the Bible, you might be confused that it says Raul because we know his father-in-law as Jethro. We hear that name a lot. And so I was real confused. I was like, did he have multiple wives? It, is this a typo in the Bible? I don't really know what the problem is here. And so as I was um, doing some research about it, they were saying it's common for people to have two names, just like you have a first name and a last name. It's common for people to have two names, or like Abram and Abraham, or like Paul and Saul, or like um, Simon Peter. Some people have two names. So they were saying they feel like Raul and Jethro, they're both the same person. They're just two people with two different names. And so that made me think, like, Lord, why would you choose this name? If later on you refer to him as Jethro, why would you choose to use this name that nobody knows? That's confusing. So I started doing some more research, and I found out that this name, Raul, means friend of God. And Raul is a priest of Midian. He's a priest, and we don't have any record that he's a pagan priest. All his character shows that he's in line with Jesus. So he is a priest of the Lord, and here the Lord specifies that he is a friend of God, right? So then Moses is at the well with these women, and then he says, hey, bring him from wherever he is, bring him into my house, and I'm going to give him my daughters. And he comes under his house, and you'll see later on in the scriptures where Jethro, like, acts like a father for Moses in so many ways, giving him counsel, giving him um, resources, and just being there for him throughout this whole thing. This is significant because the Lord was delivering Moses from Egypt, but this coming deliverance to Raul being called friend of God, this is the beginning of him coming in to know Jesus or getting to know God. Not, it's Jesus, but, you know, he don't got that name yet. So Raul is saying, come into my house, and Raul has this name, friend of God, which means I know him. I spend time with him. We have a relationship. And so Raul is like, come into my house. And then immediately after this, we see Moses. The next one, I'm not going to spoil it so much, but the next one is the burning bush. And it's all these encounters with Jesus, um, with the Lord from Moses. He begins to know him. He begins to see him um, in his fullness. And some of that stuff starts to fall off him. He sees the Lord more. And so I love this characteristic of God, 
because he could have left Moses to wander in that subliminal or that middle, not subliminal, but that middle place where he's just been freed from Egypt, but he's kind of in the middle, not knowing what to do. Um, but just like God, Raul is like, come into my house. And I'm going to teach you of my God. I'm going to teach you of his faithfulness. I'm going to teach you and give you an opportunity to meet the one who has called me friend and I call him friend. Later on, we see that Moses, um, God says that Moses and him speak face to face. I think, these are just my thoughts, I think that friendship probably had some roots in Raul being called friend of God. He started that, that history with Moses to know him as friend. Are y'all still with me? Is this making sense? Okay. So one huge point that I felt like was so significant for us in this time, and it's probably like my last one or the second to last one, is we, just like Moses, cannot bring holy deliverance with Egypt's tools. Moses was the one that the Lord chose to be delivered, but all he knew was Egypt's way of deliverance. After this, God shows him a totally different way that has signs and wonders that make no sense. Use a stick, Moses. That's how I'm going to deliver them. Are you serious? You want me to fight Pharaoh with a stick? Is it a long stick? Like, does it have spikes? I don't know. You know, or there's one he says, Moses, stick your hand in your cloak and take it back out. Like we're doing magic tricks. Like, that's not, that's not the way that I would choose. But, but God is so wise and he uses the foolish things to confound the wise. Here, Moses only knew of Egypt's tools. He only knew of Egypt's methods of deliverance. But the Lord brings him out of that and brings him into a new family. Symbolically into Raul's family but actually into the family of God. It's through that adoption into this other kingdom that we begin to see a different way and that we receive different tools. As I was thinking about this series and it coming right behind the reconciliation one, it made me um, remember just some of the talks that we had while we were going through reconciliation. And it brought up so much... I don't know, challenge, so much conflict, so many hard things in our history as we looked at like the history of reconciliation and the things that have affected us. And I think for some of you in talking to you, you guys have through that, through your time with Jesus, through being in Aliquippa, whatever you've done, you have, have been given some of this like Moses heart. Like, if I was talk, to talk to each one of you, there are specific things that the Lord has given you that your heart is turned towards. Like Moses' heart was turned towards these people who are disenfranchised. I was thinking about our brother Turk. I don't know if he's going to be upset with I mentioned him, but I'm already doing it, so can't go back now. But, man, his heart for people who have struggled with addiction and for veterans is, like, so beautiful. He goes to bat for them. Okay, you want to see this brother advocate? Talk about the veterans. He is going to acknowledge like how valuable they are. And he spends that time talking to them about their value and talking to um, other people about their value. Because those are the things that prick his heart. And for each one of you, there are things that your face is turned towards. Things that you naturally just gravitate towards or problems that naturally just burn you inside. 
I think the Lord has given us those things. But because we've been adopted, just like Moses in this, in this scenario, I think our community, the Lord is trying to shift our tools. In the midst of all this chaos that we're seeing with the media and whew, all the different things, I don't got to tell you about it. You know all the things that we've seen. It can seem so easy to reach for Egypt's tools. The Lord can explain to you which one specifically. But to go for slander or to go for cancel culture or to go for um, all the things that push people away, to go for the, the kill in some ways. There are ways that you can end, cut up other people's lives. And those are the tools that the world is handing us in this moment. Like, these are the tools for deliverance. You want to set these uh, people who need help free, you use these tools. But here, God is about to start teaching Moses a different way. This is Moses' personal deliverance story. And for us, we are being taught a different way. We've been getting all these words about mourning and the difficulty that we're experiencing in this season. I think part of that is because he is removing those tools from our hands. And he's teaching our community a different way to bring deliverance. It's going to be a crazy way. I don't think it's going to, it might look more like a magic trick than a sword. But I think it's the way that he's bringing it. What sense does it make to take a community and go meet them with love rather than with challenge? We, our summer staff is here working with them. You know, kids have bad days some days, really many days. What sense does it make to take a kid that's having a bad day and sit with them and talk to them or bless them or hug them? makes more sense to discipline them. It makes it more sense to, you know, punish them. But there is a different way that he's teaching us. There's a different way. And so what I love about this is God is so kind and he's so intentional um, towards Moses that he doesn't call him deliverer without first taking him through his own personal deliverance. He doesn't skip that step with Moses. He, Moses was 40 at this time. I feel, uh, if I'm not mistaken, he doesn't go back until he's like 80. He's there for like 40 years going through this deliverance of like learning God's heart. You know, when you read the Bible, it looks like, Joseph, um, looks like Moses got a wife, and then he went to the burning bush, and then he went to Egypt, and all the plagues happened, and then that was the end of the week. That's what it looks like when you read the scripture. It is not like that. Okay, it's not a week long. This took this man 40 years. And then he wandered through the wilderness for another 40 years. He lived a long time. Um, whew. I don't know if I want to live that long. Maybe like 119, maybe not 120. But these are like long processes. And that can be so frustrating to be in a 40-year process with God. Negative, 40 days, that's all you're getting from me. But it shows God's commitment to Moses' personal journey. In any relationship, if we were to say, um, if the relationship was, I just need you to do what I ask you to do all the time, this would be the kind of relationship that we'd call the police for. This would be the kind of relationship that we would be like, mm -mm, that's toxic. You need to leave. Get out. You know? That's not who God is. He would not say, Moses, you are going to be the deliverer of all these people and all your family is going to hate you and they're going to turn aside from you and you're going to have to see brother against brother, like all that stuff. He wouldn't take Moses through that without first having him go through his own personal deliverance. 
his own time to experience God and meet God for himself. So then when God says to Moses later on, um, tell them that the I am that I am sent you. You know who that is. You, you know who this person is that you're talking to. And even though you're scared out your boots, you know who is talking to you. And so you move not because of um, command, but because of relationship. And I love that. I believe he's doing that with our community, too, that he's not going to call us to be deliverers for the nations. We pray for the nations all the time. We pray for the neighborhoods all the time. He is not going to call us to be the deliverers of the neighborhood if he's not going to call you to be delivered in yourself. And he is in this season. He's calling us to our own personal causes, our own personal deliverance to receive that from him. And he is so committed to go through this for as long as it takes, hopefully not 40 years. But if it takes you 50, he's committed to going through that whole thing with you. And at 50, if he says you, you have come to a place, he will use you mightily in the same ways he would have used you if you were 26. You need to know that. And so from this story, um, my last slide, I think, I didn't have very much to say today. <laughs> yeah, God has given you a new family and with it new tools. And I don't know where you are in this specific journey. If you have just come out of your Egypt, if you are still in Egypt and the Lord is like, hey, I have a better way. Come out. I have a new family for you. I know you've been a part of this other family that has this really dark history. Come be a part of my family. If he's saying that to you, then receive that. If he's saying to you, I want to woo you, I want to show you myself, then receive that. And if he's activating you to go out and do some stuff, then receive that. You probably are a mix of all three, because that's usually how he does it. You being delivered at the same time that you're serving, at the same time that you have problems you don't even know about. And that's, that's just how he does He just, I don't know, like a McFlurry. He just does it all at the same time. Just all swirled up in there. You know? And that's, that's just real life with him. There, I don't think there's any shame in wherever you are, but I think it's important that we hear God on where we are right now and that we are able to receive him to meet him where we are right now okay he's called each of us all of us into this new family and I think um, we have to let him uh, give us new tools that's all I have to say